0: Hey, what's up, Average American School Teacher? Thank you so much for joining me in the studio. I was hoping that today you and I could talk a little bit and maybe teach my audience a little bit about teaching in America. What do you say?
1: You're going to teach him in that outfit?
0: Wow, man, way harsh. I know I'm not the most fashionable guy, but... Uh, Anyway, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is you do?
1: I'm taking money under the false pretense of teaching history.
0: The false pretense? Jeez, man. Well, you got to be teaching them something, right? I mean, you got to prepare them to work in the factories, you know? That is uh, that is the goal, after all, right?
1: That's right. you got to have discipline, and that means obedience.
0: Yeah, well, I suspected that obedience was the goal. Seems like that's what you guys are doing here. But at least you're teaching in the greatest schools in the world, the American school system, right?
1: This is the garbage can of the educational system. You take most of these schools and put them together, and what have you got? One big, fat, overflowing garbage can. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to Everything Allegedly. My name is Sean and thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. There's a lot of podcasts out there, a lot of them. So thank you so much for uh, listening and for rating and for sharing and reviewing and all the stuff that you do to uh, help the podcast get out there because it really is so, um, uh, Much appreciated and uh, please continue to do that. So yeah, today we are going to talk about schools and we're going to be talking mostly about the American school system because I'm in America and that's what I know. But a lot of this stuff can kind of uh, probably, if you're in a Western country, will probably be at least somewhat uh, relatable to you. So on the podcast, we have talked about government and medicine and banking and food and all of those things (laughs) were pretty bad. (laughs) As it turns out, all of of those things not going so well. But you can take comfort in knowing that the American school system is number one. We're doing great. (laughs) Now, it sort of depends on how you measure that. So you know, if the, uh, outcome that you're looking for is like, how many, uh, purple haired nut job teachers do you have trying to convince the kids to be transgender? Well then yeah, we're killing it. We're, we're number one. <laughs> we're number one. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe the goal is to keep a bunch of very unimpressive people employed. Well, in that case, We are number one. We're doing really good at that, too. Or or maybe it's about how much money we can spend, because in that case, we are also number one. America is killing it at all those things. But but despite all those number ones, uh, I think we need to examine what's going on with our public schools. And right there, I'll just stop and say right off the bat, We can stop calling them public schools and we can call them what they really are because these schools aren't by the public. No, these schools are the government. (laughs) And uh, here in America, we have a federal department that oversees our education. So these aren't public schools. These schools have really nothing to do with the public. This is dictated from on high by the government. So I like to call them government schools. So that's what I usually call them. So let's talk about these government schools. And so, although all those number ones I mentioned are that I really just made up, there are some metrics we can look at to give us some idea about how the schools are doing. And if you were to do an internet search and say, you know, how are American schools? Uh, How do they compare to the rest of the world? What you're going to find is, well, a lot of data that's, uh, that's really hard to... Kind of parse out. It's really hard to tell, you know, if a school is better than uh, another school, you know, in a country, whatever. It's it's a lot of data, a lot of lot to figure out, and I and I assume it's all very political and everything like that. But when you look at some of these uh, uh, lists, what you'll find is that America, with all the money we spend and you know all the effort we put into it, out of the seventy so countries that they uh, usually compare them to, we're like smack dab in the middle. <laughs> we are not even near the top anymore in almost any of the metrics that they, you know, really try to, I guess, pull with these things. And um, specifically where math and science are concerned, we're not even in the top half anymore. In, uh, in math and science, America <laughs> is doing pretty, pretty bad at, uh, at those things And um, I'll post some of these articles that I found In case you want to take a look at them They're, they're not all that informative But I did find one little detail that I thought was funny uh, You can definitely tell there is an agenda in uh, some of these articles And one of them said that American schools were not doing well Because of all the violence that happens in our schools That's right Uh, all the violence that takes place in our schools. And the study that they cited, the study that they cited to prove just how violent our schools uh, schools are, is that this study claimed that over 50% of the students in the schools are scared that they could be a victim of gun violence at school. So so I guess our schools are uh, (laughs) dangerous because... I don't know, the kids think they are. That sounds like a problem with the media. That sounds like scaremongering by our media. But anyway, I thought I would share that with you. I found it funny because it's not data whatsoever, and they didn't reference any data to prove how dangerous our schools are. And I do think our schools are dangerous, but uh, it's not because of violence. I think that they are dangerously mediocre and dangerously... um, underperforming so uh but but that's my perspective Uh, from from the point of learning the schools aren't really doing good but are they providing the results that the designers of these schools wanted uh when they were designed and i would say yes (laughs) i would say unfortunately the schools are performing exactly as they were planned and we can uh, get into some of the history of schooling. And uh, I will show you that the schools were not meant to make your kid uh, really smart and to uh, challenge them. But uh, possibly, well, for sure, there was a, a different design in mind. So we got to go way back to about the 1830s. And uh, there was a guy named Horace Mann. And what he did was he went to uh, he went to Prussia, which is is now Russia, and he went there to study their school system. And uh, he went there, I believe, on a grant from the Peabody Foundation. the The Peabodys were, uh, you know, again one of these uh, robber baron, uh, lizard people scumbags of of that era. And so they sent him over to Prussia to study the school system there. And they wanted to know what the Prussians were doing so well in their schools because the Prussians were just cranking out, uh, basically cranking out factory workers. And so they wanted to know, ooh, how can we get that here? So they sent Horace Mann over there to Prussia. And what he found was that the Prussian school system really emphasized things like um, duty and discipline and especially order following. He found that their schools were really just uh, a lot of propaganda. There were propaganda factories. And at that time, Prussia had a king. And so there was a lot of this about how the king was the right and just ruler. And uh, that's what what was going on in the uh, Prussian schools. And and so, so what he did, what Horace did, was he basically brought that system back here to America where the, uh, again, the robber barons could implement this type of schooling for uh, their own means. And this was kind of a new concept. In America, school had looked uh, a lot different than um, than this new system. And um, this, this was a new concept that uh, taught things like... Like it was very structured, very rigid, and you were to only learn the things uh, that were that were part of this new schooling system. It's what we today call a curriculum, but that concept was kind of a uh, a new thing at the time. They didn't really have curriculums. It was kind of open learning uh, in classrooms with all the different age group um, all the different age children in there together. And it was more of a free form thing, but this concept of a curriculum and that you would only be taught the things that they want you to know. Well, that was one of the things that he brought back here. And so they designed it to be good for the government and good for the ruling class of that time. Now, one of the ways that we know that this was, um, at least the goal of the, the Prussian school system, which got brought back here, but there is a, a, a quote from a guy h- called um, Johann Gottlieb. Uh, I guess it's uh, Fitch. Um, and anyway, he was like a German philosopher and basically one of the, the uh, people who came up with this uh, Prussian-style schooling. And um, here's a quote from old Johann, and he says, Education should aim to destroy free will so that after pupils are thus schooled, they will be incapable throughout the rest of their lives of thinking or acting otherwise than their schoolmasters would have wished. Yikes. <laughs> That's no good. I mean, the guy who came up with the schooling system that got exported to America says that. that is no good, but you can see, uh, the, the, the robber barons of that, of, of the time here in America, they were like, yeah, we like that. We, we don't want people pushing back on us. We, we got to get that system where, uh, where we destroy that free will. So anyway, in the 1830s, that's what they did. They brought it back here. And, um, this is basically the design that became the American uh, compulsory schooling system. And it really just uh, says it all. And it kind of progressed from there because that was just the kind of first wave of this, I guess, reform, if you could call it that. Because then again, in the uh, the 1890s, so I guess, you know, 50, 60 years later, the uh, robber barons of, of that time... Uh, they, they really, uh, they needed more obedient slaves than they had. They really, uh, you know, the Industrial Revolution was really going at this time. And uh, they just, they had factories, a lot of new factories, and they just really needed some, uh, some obedient slaves <laughs> to work in those factories. And so uh, what they did in the 1890s was they uh, started this uh, group, uh, It's called the committee of 10. And what they did was they just essentially went around the country and kind of like the, uh, what we talked about in the medicine issue with the, um, the, uh, the, uh, Rockefeller report that basically changed medicine. Well, so did the committee of 10 and they just basically standardized schooling, made it law and, uh, and did things like that. This is where we get the, um, 12 years of school. If you've ever wondered why we go to school for 12 years, uh, generally, uh, that is, uh, that's where we, we get it from the, uh, the committee of 10 and, uh, they wanted to make sure that things like mathematics and science and of course civics were, uh, were included, uh, in this curriculum. Now I got nothing against civics, but I guess it's just how you, uh, how you apply it. And, um, the, uh, uh, what's it called when you put your hand over the your heart in school? The uh, <laughs> the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, that uh, the name of that song never sounded creepy to me until I got a little bit older. And it's like the pledge. I pledge my allegiance to the flag. Yeah, it's a little bit weird. I mean, I wish we were reaching uh, children by saying like, well, these are the qualities of <laughs> the flag or something like that, rather than I pledge my allegiance. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, and now, so where were, we? we're, we're in the 1890s, and now we get to uh, 1902. And uh, this is when uh, really everything got kind of com- cemented uh into into, uh, law and government about our school system. So in 1902, enter John D. Rockefeller, because, you know, everything in modern society was basically made by the Rockefellers, and um, he started the General Education Board. And uh, this was actually a private organization, but like so many of these things, their goal is to influence the government to get the things that they want. And to kind of export this, uh, this, for lack of a better term, this slave student model across the country. You know, you know, because the Rockefellers just loved us so much. They thought so high of us plebs that they just wanted us to have a good education, don't you know? And so they're, uh, one of their big uh, contributions to the medical system, or I'm sorry, uh, there we go. Uh, uh, to the school system of the time Is the uh, the bells Oh they really wanted bells In school It's kind of like Pavlov's dog They wanted you to get used to the bell system And the fact that you would be Clocking in and clocking out uh, f- Based on the uh, the bell or the whistle At their factories So that's what they really wanted They wanted to create a workforce For them And that's essentially um, what they got. And that's what we still have today. Now, in 1983, there was a document and um, it was from the United States Department of Education. This document is called A Nation at Risk. Again, from the uh, United States Department of Education. And it's very telling. It's like a uh, 50-page document. And... um, if you're interested in it, I will link to it. I thought it was pretty interesting. But there are a couple of spots in this document that are really telling because I think in the early 80s, we were getting an honest account of how our schools were performing. And um, one of the, uh, and, I'll, and I'll quote from this document here it says, The educational foundations of our society are presently being eroded by a rising tide of mediocrity that threatens our very future as a nation and a people. That's pretty damning. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. It actually says in the document also that if our education, as in the American education system, was imposed upon us, by a foreign country, that we would consider it an act of war. That is how bad the Department of Education thought our schools were in 1983. That's how bad it was. But, thank goodness, since that time, we have done precisely Nothing about it. <laughs> All the stuff in the document, uh, they didn't fix any of it. So, <laughs> so I guess it is still as bad as they said it was in 1983. And uh, because it is bad, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. We are conditioned to think of it as not so bad and that the school systems are uh, producing, you know, the most brilliant people. But um, what is it really doing? And do we really need it? Do we really need school in the way it was set up, you know, 200 years ago and 100 years ago? Do we really need this government coerced, which, you know, compulsory? Do we need kids sitting in these neat rows waiting for their instructions from their teacher? Do we need this? kind of military style school system that our uh, kids are subject to today because that's actually what it was. The Prussian school was based on um, a military education. So, and it's kind of what we have now. And um, I don't think we do. I don't think we need this kind of school system. It's really hard to imagine another way because it's kind of the only way we know. But I don't think our kids need this. And uh, that's because I think the natural state of kids is to be uh, is to be curious, to be uh, natural learners, to be inquisitive, and uh, to be risk taking, creative. All of these things that make uh, kids, you know, so uh, so special. And um, I I think that our schools. Really, are just kind of beating the life out of them and demoralizing them. I know that sounds pretty, uh, pretty harsh and kind of crazy if you're not, uh, you know, familiar with this way of thinking yet. But really, when you think about what children are good at, children are good at play. They're good at being creative. They're good at being curious. And then they're sent to these schools and they're told to sit in neat rows and they're told not to talk unless they're spoken to. And so, yes, I really do believe that the school system as it's set up, uh, at least for young kids, is really a demoralizing way to treat them. And it's very difficult. School is not set up For Every kid it's set up for a very specific type of kid or what I should say is it takes a very specific type of kid to be successful in school and let me tell you I (laughs) was not that type of kid definitely not Uh, one story that comes to mind is uh, when I was young when I was in um, elementary school um, Nintendo (laughs) the first one had just come out. Nintendo was like a, a brand new thing. And, um, and I remember if I didn't get in trouble for one week, I could get a Nintendo. And I think it was called turning over a card or flipping a tally—I don't remember what it was—but anyway, there's this uh, board in the in the schoolroom there, and you know, if you do something like get out of your chair or talk out of turn or you know any of the things that kids just do all the time. Well, then you got in trouble. You had to turn your card over or you you had a certain amount of colors on a stick that you were allowed, whatever, any any of these military systems that they set up. But anyway, I could get a Nintendo if I didn't get in trouble for just one week. And I think what happened was my parents eventually gave up on it. <laughs> I don't actually remember completing that goal because I don't think I could. And uh, I think I just got the Nintendo eventually, probably at the end of the school year or at Christmas or something. But I don't think I was ever um, well behaved by the school standards for uh, for a full week. And that's because school wasn't set up for a kid like me. I mean, I had so much energy. Getting me to sit still in a seat, I mean, that's torture. I can barely do it now. (laughs) I've got to sit here while I do this show, and it's entirely too long for me to be sitting here. And uh, like watching a movie, oh my gosh, if a movie is longer than 90 minutes, there is not a chance (laughs) I'm going to sit through the whole thing. So... That's just the way that I'm wired, and it's not cool to make kids like me uh, have to sit through that kind of thing because I learn in a different way. Now, if you're going to give me some Legos, I can build whatever you want, and I could have at that time because that's the way I learned. I was really a um, tactile learner, but they want you to sit there and read books. So anyway, that's my... um, (laughs) <laughs> That's my Nintendo story. And, um, so school for me, it was basically just a, uh, just a giant, uh, beatdown session. And, uh, I feel like there's a lot of kids like me. I know, especially with young boys, uh, this school system is, is very difficult for them. And, um, unfortunately I believe what it does is it just removes a lot of light and, and wonder from them and their, their curiosity and their spirit. And, um, I just hate that, but I do think at one time um, our schools were at least emphasizing uh, important and useful things. I do think that well, I know for a fact that the U.S. was at one time the uh, the world leader in uh, STEM. Uh, STEM is an acronym for uh, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Generally, those are, I would say, the most useful of things to learn in school. Certainly, you can learn a lot of useful things in school. I'm not going to take away from any of the other disciplines, but when it comes to marketability and productivity, making a living, things like that, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, they seem to be uh, very, very useful. And at one time, uh, America was the uh, world leader in uh, these kinds of subjects. Not anymore. Definitely not anymore. Now, I cited the um, you know pretty loose statistics in the beginning that we are basically somewhere halfway uh, down the list of uh, 70 countries or so. We found ourselves in um, abject mediocrity. But what's going on right now? What has replaced those very important things that we were uh, once learning? Now, if you're on <laughs> social media at all, you will see that it's being replaced with a lot of, like, social justice things, which is so weird. It's really, really weird because our teachers seem to be just so hell bent on, um, on, they're just on a mission to politically indoctrinate children. It is just the strangest thing ever. And it's, uh, it's more of this, uh, disgusting self-obsession that I talked about in the last episode, but it is so weird, just so bizarre to me. Like, what in the world are you thinking to, uh, to coerce a captive and kind of defenselessly impressionable child into your, uh, I don't know, political uh, machinations? It's just crazy. It's really loony, if you ask me. But there's a lot of that stuff going on in school. As I've mentioned before on this uh, podcast, I did run for school board in my town, and um, I admitted at that time. I'll admit it again. I don't really care all that much about the intricacies of uh, of the schools in my uh, in my town. Uh, Mainly at that time, I was just trying to uh, get masks off the kids because this was during COVID. I knew kids weren't at risk and I knew they were being abused by having these masks on their face and also just being constantly bombarded with fear. So I was really trying to be the Ron Swanson and to just kind of get in there and uh, throw a wrench into the entire system. So Since I don't plan on running for school board anymore, (laughs) I can admit that here because I don't think they're (laughs) they're going to elect me um, ever again because they certainly didn't the first time. (laughs) So anyway, uh, what I noticed when I was running for the school board is there's just it's. Everyone is fighting. Nobody's fighting about the substance. Nobody is really talking about the substantive things that the kids are learning. And it's all about these social issues that takes up all of these people's brain power. They're just, they're so concerned about things like, what is it called? Uh, what's the acronym DEI diversity, equity, and inclusion, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we have just, Pages and pages and documents and protocols and this and that. And you know what? None of it's necessary. None of it's necessary at all. We don't need to have a top-down approach about how you deal with these social issues. Because you know what? Schools shouldn't be teaching social issues. (laughs) (coughs) Excuse me. It is not up to the government to be teaching these kinds of things. These are uh, um, moral issues. These things... Uh, should come from the family. And uh, it is none of the government's business uh, how we, I guess, teach social issues to our children. And there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in schools. It's not just all of these social issues. I remember not too long ago, Loudoun County, Virginia. Do you remember the story where there was a boy, because that's what he is, a boy, uh, who was, I don't know, saying he was transgender or he was, uh, I don't know, non-binary, whatever they say, this boy was gaining access to the female, uh, bathrooms and locker rooms. And, uh, he was sexually assaulting girls in those spaces and he did it and the school board found out about it. And so they didn't change their policies they didn't say that these policies are are dangerous to the girls of our school. No, what they did was they moved to a boy, the, the boy to a different school in the district where he promptly sexually assaulted another girl. And so this is how it goes. These people are hell bent on their social um issues that they are uh, covering up actual assaults that are happening in our school. I just listened to a story and now I believe, see, I should write this stuff down, but I believe it was um, in Washington state and um, I'll post an article to it. And this poor uh, girl who had some developmental um, delays, uh, she had a a special tutor that was assigned to her, a one-on-one tutor. And uh, the, uh, the person, this tutor Uh, was clearly a woman, uh, but apparently this person with developmental delays, this student, uh, wasn't able to really grasp the concept that this person who had breasts was claiming that they were a a boy or a man or something like that. And so uh, they were reprimanded and they were made to feel bad because uh, this this, this girl with the developmental delays couldn't wrap her, her brain around the fact that this person with breasts was telling her that they were a man. And she eventually got suspended from school for it. And that's fully crazy. I mean... It's one thing to make a request, oh, I'd like to be called this, but then actually to discipline somebody because they are not participating in whatever delusion you've crafted for yourself, well, that's just wrong. And then to do it to a person with developmental delays, I mean, or or developmental disorder, I'm not sure what we're supposed to say. But um, anyway, it was a very sad story. And um, to think that that's going on in our schools, like to think that our children are not already confused enough about what's going on in society well they're bombarded with it at school too and um it doesn't end there unfortunately it definitely does not end there man what is up with all of the talk of sex in schools like when did schools become the training ground for sex i it is so weird (coughs) excuse me again this reminds me of yet another story from my childhood and from the elementary school that I went to because um at the time uh, of course it, it was awkward to uh learn about sex as an elementary school kid and I did have that I had a whatever a sexual education course I think it was 5th or 6th grade and they would kind of gather the kids in the auditorium um or uh, like rec room, whatever it was. We didn't have an auditorium in, in elementary school. But they separated the boys and the girls. And the, uh, the, the boys had a, uh, a male teacher. And the girls had a female teacher. And they would, they would uh, tell us about sex. And the funniest thing <laughs> is that looking back on it, <laughs> uh, the guy who taught the boys, uh, clearly a homosexual. <laughs> this dude was uh, super gay. But uh, I guess in the 80s, uh, people weren't as uh, aware. Maybe their gaydar didn't work as good. But uh, old Mr. Tate, (laughs) he was the one who taught all the boys about sex. And I remember some of the questions we had for him. And it's hilarious. But uh, I just imagine that Mr. Tate, uh, when we would ask him all these questions um, about uh, heterosexual sex, because that's the only kind... We were even aware of his elementary school kids. He probably had no idea what was going on because this dude, again, he was as queer as a three dollar bill. So I don't, th- <laughs> I don't think we are even getting a good education um on sex from that guy anyway. But you know, there there is the wider question, right? Should uh should school be the place that kids learn about sex? I don't think so. It seems uh Seems really uh, weird to me. I don't know why it's okay for teachers to talk to children about sex of any kind. In fact, I think it's super creepy. It's really creepy to me. And, um, you know, why is there this uh, special, I don't know, this this special idea in our heads for teachers to be able to talk to kids about this stuff because they are just government employees, no matter what you think about teachers, or if you have the sign in your yard, this is we heart teachers or whatever, they're just government employees. They're the same as anyone else. And so could you imagine if, if this kind of thing was going on elsewhere? Like, could you imagine if you went into the post office and they're like, yeah, here's your book of stamps. And you know, would you mind, uh, could I talk to your child about sex? I mean, you'd be like, what the hell? No you can't talk to my kid about sex or you know step aside uh, ma'am uh, so I can talk to your kid about their gender and uh, you know please please go away cuz this is only between me the postal worker and uh, and your kid <laughs> that's so gross like you would never do that it's so weird like you go to the DMV and they're like congratulations you passed your driver's test now, now I'm going to take your kid for a little drive around the block and we're just going to discuss the, the type of sex that they like to have. So we'll be right back. Of course, it's crazy. It's so crazy. It's preposterous. But, uh, for some reason, the reason for some reason, when it comes to teachers, we think, yeah, that's great. The uh, government can teach our kids about sex. It's not great. It's gross. And, um, uh, there's, we should not tolerate this. Like if there was some man at a playground who like lured your child away to show them pornography, uh, you'd be like, Oh my God, what in the world are you doing? And, uh, I guess if that person says, uh, don't worry, I'm, I'm from the government. Oh, well, Hey, no worries. Then proceed. Let me know when you're done with my kid. Obviously it's insane, and yet for some reason we've been brainwashed to think because it's happening at school that it must be okay. And um, there are loads of perverts in school. Now, if you think that the Catholic Church is bad for sex scandal and molestation and uh, pedophilia, look no further than the public school system, the government school system in America, and you'll find the greatest of all time. The greatest of all time for sexual assault on children comes from the public school system. So make no mistake about that. And it is definitely not the place that uh, kids should be talking to adults about sex. That belongs in the home. That should be done by the parents. And uh, I think we really need to change the, the, our thinking on this. Thinking that it's okay for, uh, for uh, schools, government schools, to be talking uh, to our ch- children about this stuff. So that is what they're doing. They're doing a bunch of wacky stuff. And uh, what's the other stuff that they're doing, though, Uh, aside from uh, trying to convince our kids to be transgender and obsessed with talking to them about uh, sex and diversity and equity and inclusion and uh, Black Lives Matter flags and whatever else is going on in the schools? um, What are they doing with the uh, little bit of time that they that they have left over? Well, what they're doing is uh, that Prussian uh, school model, they're uh, teaching robotic thinking. They're teaching non-dynamic thinking, and they're teaching people how to, uh, they're teaching children how to become order followers. They're not teaching them how to think out of the box. They're not teaching critical thinking. And those are the things that are really important, particularly right now. Right now, we hear a lot about artificial intelligence. We hear so much about AI and how it's going to take over the jobs and how it's going to put everyone out of business. And there have been similar, I guess, uh, threats like this in the past. For instance, uh, I know that the the printing press and um, other things were were a real threat to workers of the time. And so I think that some of the AI scare is not uh, its not real. I think that we're going to adapt. But there is something to it. And um, AI and artificial intelligence and computer learning, it is going to change the work landscape. And that's because computers are really good at doing certain things. Computers are really good at something called conditionals, and a conditional is uh, like like a computer if this then that. That that is an, uh, a simplification of what a uh, of a computer command. So um, a, a computer you can tell a computer well if this happens then do this, and um, it's called a conditional. And computers are really good at solving those kinds of problems. But those are um, things that can be done by uh, order. So computers are really good at order taking. Computers are really good at the robotic thinking. And so if our kids are going to be uh, poised and ready to take over the next generation of work, they're going to know need to know how to do things better than computers. And so uh, particularly that is that out of the box thinking. That is the kind of... Problem solving that computers Can't do well so this Real militaristic And um, orderly school system That we have now that teaches This rigid kind of thinking it's Not going to be relevant in the Future and so our kids need to uh, Adapt to a changing world They need to Remain relevant because Because work is More than just producing They're going to need To be fulfilled in this uh, coming era of uh, AI and computers providing so much for us. It's not fulfilling to uh, sit around and smoke pot and watch Netflix in your 15-minute cities and collect your universal basic income. That's not going to make for a happy person. And although that is what I think the controllers would prefer for us, you know, like I said, just uh, stay in your, uh, your Hunger Games district and watch your Netflix smoke your pot, eat your bugs, and uh, take your pharmaceuticals for the depression, uh, that's not a fulfilling life. And so if our kids are going to have a fulfilling life and have a fulfilling work life, they're going to need to uh, know how to think outside the box. And so we owe that to them, and uh, we should probably rethink the schools on their behalf. Now, uh, there was something that I found that was really interesting that I want to share with you Um, on this episode about schools. And this is thanks to a guy named John Taylor Gatto and um, rest in peace. He, uh, he passed away. um, I I guess it was uh, in the, uh, the mid aughts, I think somewhere around 2008 or something, but John Taylor Gatto was a uh, New York city school teacher for about 30 years. And he was a really great thinker and writer. And he, Could uh, He could speak very intelligently for the way our schools were failing our kids. And he wrote a lot of books about it. And I would really encourage you to check out some of his books if you're interested in this topic. I will uh, list the the names of those books in the description if you feel like checking them out. But anyway, I found him talking about something that I thought was very interesting. And that's what I want to share with you today. And um, what it was was he found this book written by a guy called Alexander Ingalls. And this dude was, like, deep into uh, Harvard. And, um, in fact, one of the presidents of Harvard, the uh, Harvard University, said that if you want to know what our education is really all about, then you've got to look at the work of this guy, Alexander (coughs) Ingalls, And specifically this book called Principles of Secondary Education. And in that book, he lays out the six purposes of schooling. And I'm going to let you know what those are now. And uh, let me tell you, (laughs) they're not good. These are super creepy. But again, this is kind of what uh, Harvard admits the uh, school system is based on. And so... Number one, the uh, the first purpose of school is called adjustment, and this is to create a fixed reaction to authority. So the purpose of going to school is to <clears throat> is to program your reaction to the authority that has most certainly <laughs> got its foot on your neck. So anyway, that's number one. Number two is integration. And this integration principle is all about conformity or conforming. And it is to make children as alike as possible. They are easier to control if they're all similar, if they're all alike, and if they all think the same. So that's number two, integration slash conformity. Number three is called directive. Directive. Uh, And this is about their social roles. And so it says that school is to diagnose your proper social role. Essentially, it means to stay in your lane. And so the school system is meant to uh, beat you into submission, into your category, into your cast. If you are a a favored one in this system, uh, then you're, uh, uh, you're to know that. And if you're not favored in this system, you're also to know that too. And so, so go away and go labor in the factories, essentially. Uh, number four is called uh, differentiation. And this is to separate and to stratify kids into these groups that I just mentioned. Number five is called selective access um, or essentially the, uh, the access, the uh, the access to quality of kids. So, it, this is basically uh, natural selection, and it's based on um, Darwin's preservation of the favored races. So, um, th- think about it this way uh, poor kids end up in poor districts, and those are the worst schools. And so, this is meant to uh, basically selectively groom a certain stock of children for the favored positions uh in 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 the in the country or in the government or uh, in the upper classes and to keep the lower class down and then uh the last one number 6 here <clears throat> is called propaedutic Propidudic, yes and this is uh essentially it's, uh, it's not an English word, but essentially what it means is that you are trained to be a custodian of the system. So the last one, number six, means that um, you are basically um, trained to repeat the process that you've brought up in. So, so much of the reason that we have this real glorification of our school system <clears throat> is because of that number six, that principle that is meant to just keep the grift going. So. Those things are pretty bad. And if a Harvard president admits that the way to understand our school system is to look at these principles, well, that doesn't mean good things for our kids. Certainly, if you're not in the upper class and um, if your kids aren't in the uh, Skull and Bones Club or the Porcelain or any of these other, uh, you know, uh, elite. Um, groups that you can belong to at these elite schools. For the rest of us, we're meant to work in the factories. We are meant to (laughs) react to that Pavlovian bell, and uh, we're meant to work the machines. (laughs) That is our role. So it sounds pretty bleak, but now at least we know what the goal of these schools are. So what can we do about it? How can we uh, at least for our children, what can we do to give them the best possible outcomes and the best possible preparation for their adult life? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is obvious, and that's we need to break the government relationships, Um with our schools. Uh, I don't think schools, they definitely shouldn't be, um, at a national level regulated. They certainly shouldn't be from a state level. You know, perhaps if your town needs to have an organization, uh, for their schools where budgets are concerned, that may be okay. But what I would really like is that school be completely, uh, democratized and, um, Totally disassociated from the government. So anyway, uh, the more we can separate our schools from the government, that is the best. Now, another one, when I was thinking about how we can improve the schools, I think that tenure needs to go. Tenure, I think, is the dumbest thing. It's the dumbest idea, I think, that we've ever had for schooling. And I know what the critics say about tenure. I know why it's there. I, I, I know why it's um, at least defended. And that is so that these teachers who challenge the status quo, who say things that are unpopular, can keep their job no matter what. But what we have found is that the schools have turned into this echo chamber. And the, the teachers that are the worst offenders of this uh, this you know terrible injustice of, of not teaching our children... The worst offenders are protected by this thing called tenure. And so what we need to get back to is a true free marketplace of ideas. And if your ideas suck, then you get fired straight up. No more of this tenure stuff. And, uh, you know, if a couple of eggs get broken uh, along the way, well, we've got to make an omelet. So I think we should get rid of tenure completely. Now, the other thing that's interesting to think about schools and how much money we spend on them and how we're not getting a return on our investment is um, a little thought experiment, if you'll indulge me. I heard Tom Woods, who is a a great libertarian uh, thinker, author, uh, podcast host. If you're interested in libertarian topics, uh, give Tom Woods' show uh, a listen or read his books. <clears throat> we'll be talking about some uh, libertarian and anarchy and voluntaryism stuff in the future. But anyway, I got this idea from Tom Woods. And what he was doing was he was explaining our school system in a way that uh, it doesn't get compared. So think about how uh, we fix the issues of our schooling, whenever there's a problem with our school, what is the fix for it? Well, we say that, uh, that if only the budgets were increased, if only we could spend more money, if only we could hire more people, well, then, then the schools would be better Then we would be able to fix these problems that plague our schools. And what he said was, what if we treated our auto mechanic like that? Do you you think you would ever find a situation where you took your car in for a repair and they didn't fix it at all? In fact, your car was worse than when you brought it in. You would never say to yourself, well, if I had only paid more for that service, then then it would have been right. I should have paid more for that service and then the mechanic would have fixed it correctly. Because, of course, that's not the way it works. That's not the way things work in a free market. And so speaking of a free market, uh, this gets back to the episode I did about family and where I talked about Elizabeth Warren and how great I thought she was. And I got a lot of pushback for saying that. A lot of people hate (laughs) Elizabeth Warren, let me tell you. And you know what? For the most part, I do too. I don't like the stuff that she does with banking and finances and crypto and all that stuff. But I think she is dead on when she talks about the two-parent trap and she talks about how, uh, you know, these uh, uh, two-parent working households rely on the school system as uh, child care. And because of that, uh, they're not able to uh, take their kids out, put them into private schools, and they're really in a trap. It's called the two-parent trap. And the only way that we can fix this— Because let's face it, uh, the way the economy is trending and uh, uh, property values and everything else, we're not going to go back to one-parent working households. But the way we can fix this is a way that Elizabeth Warren actually agrees with, and that is with school vouchers. We have to have school vouchers. We have to have school choice. And yes, it would be a difficult transition. In fact, I found a video of Steve Jobs in 1995 talking about the only ethical way we can have um, our schools is if they compete for our business. And the only way they can compete for our business is with a school voucher system where you are issued a voucher. You're not in a district, but you are issued a voucher for your child to attend a public school. And you can take your kid to any school within that system. And what that's going to do is it's essentially going to bankrupt the shitty schools. And the good schools are going to get a lot of funding. And yes, it would be really difficult at first because it would just be total craziness where everyone's pulling their kids out of the bad schools, trying to get spots in the good schools. But eventually, after a couple of years, things would smooth out. And what you would have is a free marketplace of schooling. And you would have a much improved school system over what we had now. Now... I'll say that I would prefer the government not be involved in it at all. But if we have to do it, school vouchers are the only ethical way to have a school system. Because what's going on in these schools is really a disservice to these these kids. It's really terrible. Uh, There is an article I read about the Baltimore school system. Out of 25 schools in the system, not a single student can do math at a grade level. Not a single student. That is horrible. And those parents who are stuck in that area are stuck in those bad schools. And so if they were able to take their money and vote with their feet, or I should say vote with their children's feet, and take that voucher, take it to a, uh, a private institution, take it to a charter school, take it somewhere else, then they could get their kids out of these awful failing schools and get them out of that constant, terrible feedback loop. And so... I do believe that, uh, that school vouchers are the only ethical way to move forward in the school system that we have. So anyway, uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, I still like you for <laughs> your views on the school system. Now, one thing that, uh, that I will mention is the school system as it exists probably isn't necessary at all. Now, with what I do for a living, I didn't go to school for any of it. Um, In fact, I went to school for some completely different field, and although I learned some stuff there, what I do now has absolutely nothing to do with what I went to school for. And the interesting thing is I'm in a very specific field, which I'm not quite ready to to share with the audience yet, but if I had to uh, think about it, and there's no way I could really quantify it, I am probably mm, maybe one of a thousand people who maybe understands what it is that I do for a living. I'm in a highly scientific field that, uh, just isn't regulated. And so, uh, what I have done is I have learned all of this stuff on my own. I have used the, the internet. I have used, uh, books. I have used, uh, a lot of scientific papers, and I have figured out the industry that I'm in. And I'm among a very small and select group who knows this stuff. And I'm able to make a living that way. But it has nothing to do with what I learned in school. I took an interest in this stuff, I learned it, and now I make a living with it. And I'm among a very small group of people who do. So anyway, I, myself, am a a testament to the fact that you don't necessarily need school even to make your living in an industry that's highly specialized. Now, I do think that there is merit to learning law and learning medicine to some degree, especially um, emergency medicine, and to 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 learn very specific fields um, in schools that that teach them very well. And again, if we had school vouchers or, um, or a college system that wasn't so dependent on government funding, then, then we could find a, a, a much more level ground when it comes to, uh, um, access to education. But we can do something about the, uh, the early childhood education. And because of what happened with the, the pandemic, I'm doing air quotes, the oh, pandemic, the fake pandemic, what we learned was that, uh, the schools, uh, They're terrible. They masked our kids. They filled them full of fear. They sent them home. And so a lot of people have taken interest in homeschooling. And I think that's great. I love to see it. And I love to see that homeschooling has really taken off. Now, there's a lot of services that offer these homeschooling packets and or homeschooling curriculum or learn uh, through the Internet and whatnot. There's all kind of different products there. And you can certainly do a rigid homeschooling uh, system. And, um, and I think that's great. I think it's a good alternative to the schools because at least you're removing your kid from all that insanity. But what I really like, what I particularly like is something called non-schooling. And I think that non-schooling is really the way to go because you can you can have a, a, a curriculum in non-schooling, but uh, it doesn't have to be so rigid. And so what non-schooling in? is is it's really children just learning at their own speed, using that inquisitive nature, that curiosity, and some help from the parents, obviously, to to learn things. And I have noticed this in my own household. Uh, My kids, um, you know, specifically my oldest son, he wants to learn things, and he learns things just by us playing, just by us reading together, and he learns through the you know, osmosis of us being together. And that's really what non-schooling is all about. And I think it's the way to go. Now, once you get into higher education, uh, you certainly can go to colleges and these uh, secondary learning institutions and in fact, uh, many non-schoolers actually do this. Many non-schoolers go to college because you absolutely, you don't have to have any kind of uh, formal education in your younger years. You can apply to these colleges and you can go to college like everyone else. And um, so I think that is, uh, that's really uh, the way to go. I, I watched an interesting documentary uh, just recently about non-schooling. It was called... Oh, geez, I should have written it down. It was called, oh, it's called Self Taught. Um, It's actually Uh, uh, www.self-taught.com. I'll I'll post a a link to it. It's $5 to rent. And I assume that goes to uh, support those who produce the film. And I thought it was pretty good. It wasn't just all um, uh, rainbows and sunshine. They presented sort of both uh, ends of the non-schooling spectrum. And I thought it was a pretty uh, interesting take on non-schooling. Anyway, I know that's not possible for everyone. Uh, it certainly does require you to uh, to provide that uh, child care that the uh, government school system right now picks up a lot of the slack on. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, uh, if that's something you're able to do, I would say uh, definitely look into non schooling. And um, as a society, I think we should push towards a, a school voucher system so that we can help those who um, are not uh, as fortunate to be able to choose the schools that they go to, even if they're not able to uh, provide that education at home themselves. And that's really the only way we can move forward. So anyway, I think those are some uh, things to think about if you are considering schooling, if you're considering your child's education, and you're considering how to go with it. I know in our household, uh, with young kids, this is definitely something we are constantly thinking about, and it's a constantly evolving process. So I hope that gives you some things to, to think about, some things to learn, and I will be reaching out to the... Uh, the creators of that film to see if we can talk to somebody uh, who made that film and talk to some uh, non-schooled learners, some non-school kids, perhaps. So anyway, uh, my voice is starting to give out, so I think that's where we're going to end it today. And I figured today we're going to end this one with a song. When I was thinking about movies, (laughs) when I was thinking about movies uh, that are about school, I was thinking about what are these And my favorite, (laughs) we'll call it... uh, My favorite movie about white savior complex, uh, which is Dangerous Minds. That's what came to my mind. I don't know if you're familiar with Dangerous Minds, but it is uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. And she goes into a, uh, we'll call it an urban school. And she she really gets through to the youth. (laughs) She gets through to the urban youth of the school. And nobody's able to get through to them except for Michelle Pfeiffer. (laughs) she's able to convince the wayward youth that uh, school is the right way to go. Whatever. It's a pretty ridiculous movie, but it has a song in it that was made specifically for the movie. Uh, It's uh, by Coolio. And um, the song is called Gangsta's Paradise. Gangsta's Paradise. (laughs) And... um, You know what I just love about the internet is that everything you could possibly want is on the internet. So when I was looking for a rendition of gangsta's paradise, I found that none other than Frank Sinatra has a cover of gangsta's paradise. And you may be wondering, how is that even possible? Frank Sinatra wasn't around for gangsta's paradise (laughs) and you would be right. But as we talked about in this episode, Artificial intelligence is getting really good. So (laughs) here you go. Here is Gangsta's Paradise by Frank Sinatra. And we'll see you next week.
1: As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left I've been blasting and laughing but so, so long that Eat my mama things and my mind is gone And I ain't never frost a man who didn't deserve it Maybe treated like a punk, you know that's unheard of. You better watch how you talking and where you're walking. Or you and your homie might be lying and chalking? I really hate to trip, but I got look. As a load. Isaac crook I see myself in a pistol smoke. Ooh, I'm the kind of tea the little homies wanna be. Like on my knees in the night saying prayers in the street lie. Been spending most their lives sitting in the gangsters' paradise Been spending most their lives sitting in the gangsters' paradise Look at the situation they got me facin' I can't live a normal life. I was raised by the streets, so I gotta be down with the hood team. Too much television watching, gummy chasing dreams. I'm an educated fool and money on my mind. I got my pen in my hand and a gleam in my eye. I'm a low-tell gangster, so set tripping and banger. And my homies is down, so don't arouse my anger. That pain, nothing but a heartbeat away I'm letting life do and die. what can I say? I'm 23 now, but will I live to see 24? The way things are going, I don't know Been spending most their lives living in the gangsters' paradise Been spending most their lives living in the gangsters' paradise Keep spending must our living in the gangsters' paradise. Keep spending must their lives living in the gangsters' paradise. Tell me why. Money, money and the power Minute after minute Hour after hour Everybody's running That happen and looking What's going on in the kitchen That part of is looking. They say I've gotta learn When nobody's here to teach me They can't understand it How can they reach me? I guess they can and I guess they will I guess they promise how I know My life is out of love for who? Been spending most their life, Littin' in the gangster's paradise. Been spending most their lot, Littin' in the gangster's paradise. Keep spending most our lot, Littin' in the gangster's paradise. Keep spending most of lies letting in the gangsters ever do.